This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our essential question today is how are disability justice and racial justice intertwined? And that question, we got to give a citation to our amazing <laughs> guest. No plagiarism. No. Carrie Bossis. Do you want to introduce Carrie? Huh? Yeah. yeah. So hi, Carrie. Hey. So Carrie is here and Carrie works in education advocacy, formerly in civil rights law, specializing specifically in disability rights. Formerly, she was a law professor and pressing upon law students the importance of understanding race and its impact on people. Carrie has a MED in education policy, organizations and leadership from the University of Washington. She earned a Juris Doctorate from Harvard Law School. Whoa. And honors BA in psychology with a minor in sociology and anthropology from Swarthmore College. Uh, however, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> however, <that's right. laughs> however, her biggest claim to fame is some of her fashion weekend wear while hanging with her family and your dog. Yes. Uh, welcome to the Excellent. show. Welcome. Thank you. Besides, Thanks for coming on. Besides mispronouncing anything, <laughs> did I <laughs> miss any of your awesome? No, not at all. <laughs> I was telling you my friend wrote that bio for me. So nice. I told her I'm going to just start using it for professional purposes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. It's good. Well, so I met Carrie everything. at the Ignite event in Seattle, what, a month ago, two mm-hmm. months ago? And that was incredible. So I'll link As to that. As someone who did not attend Ignite, what is that? Can you tell me? Anybody? You do 20 slides? or yeah. I can't do my math right now. In five minutes? Oh, wow. It's crazy. It's like TED yeah. Talk style, but education focused. Oh, focus. I've heard about people yeah. doing that for, uh, my friend did that for her birthday, oh. which is weird, I know. But like, she was like, hey, everybody, let's get together. And they rented a room at the, what is it, Langston, um, the center that's up on um, Beacon Hill. Isn't oh. it Beacon Hill? Yeah. Um, they rented a room and did like, it was for her birthday. And they did yeah. like, come with your expert topic. And they had a birthday party that was like education themed. And I was like, yeah. that's the best birthday that's ever. That's awesome. So. Well, so this is sponsored by the Seattle Times. Okay. And they, so it's like official. It's like it's official. And it's really cool because it it's wasn't education for someone's focused. birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and you apply and that's awesome. it's awesome. So they yeah. pull stories together and then they create a theme. And so this year's was nine stories about life, love, and the classroom. Cool. Um, and so they're focused on that. And so I was listening to Carrie's mm-hmm. story. I, I went to the rehearsal because I was tagging along with yeah. me so we could get some carpool, sure. you know, up to Seattle. <laughs> and <laughs> and then as I was sitting there, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And I really want to talk to her Thanks. more. So, so Sweet. Like, Thank you for connect. coming. Happy to come. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet, so sweet. you actually, your Ignite presentation was called Short Bus to Social Justice. Yeah. How did you come up with that title? How did you decide that that's what you're going to focus on? I wasn't sure if I would get some hate mail around that. Like, how dare you call it the short bus? But I yeah. rode the short bus when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I think it was about an hour and a half each way. I didn't realize until I was in high school, and I went to a school that was pretty close to the separate school that I had gone to for kids with disabilities, that it was about 12 or 15 minutes from my house. Mm. It really did feel like it was in another state because we'd stop and pick up all these kids on the way there. So You said it took an hour and a half to get to the school? Yeah, it took an hour and a half because it was, you know, the slow bus to that place. And then we were in us. And a separate school for kids with disabilities. Mm. I never really, I didn't have an idea of what disability justice was until Mm -hmm. I got to college. So, you know, I just feel like there was this path from that separate classroom Mm -hmm. to a social justice lens. But it took a while to develop 
Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? So where yeah. were you going to school and or where did you yeah. grow up? And yeah. when did you first realize that you were on this bus and at the special school? And what did that mean for you? That as awareness a person? kind of come into your mind. Yeah. So I started early intervention when I was three. Mm-hmm. I'd had a bunch of surgeries between birth and five, like 38 surgeries. So oh. I spent a lot of time in the hospital because I have yeah. an orthopedic condition that was rare. My parents were trying to sort through it. Mm. Um, and they felt really at a disadvantage in the medical mm, system. They mm. hadn't gone to college. And so all this professional jargon, mm, yeah. how do you navigate that? How do you make decisions? And so, you know, when there was the offer to start with early intervention, and I grew up outside of Baltimore, they went for it. So I got a lot of PT, OT, that kind of stuff. Mm. But it was a separate school, uh, a separate wing for kids with disabilities. And um, we were just kind of all warehoused there. It was a range of disabilities Mm -hmm. from, like, Down syndrome to intellectual disabilities, kids who had hydroencephaly, Mm -hmm. kids who were blind, kids who were missing limbs, and me with my little walker and wheelchair. You're all just thrown there? We were all just kind of there because we were kids with disabilities. And so there was no differentiation. Mm -hmm. And so some of the services were really great. But then my parents were really fighting for me to be mainstreamed. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't mainstream until I was in third grade. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And what's so interesting was there was a school directly across the street from my house. And I could play there on the weekends. And I had friends in the neighborhood who went there. But that was not my school. Wow. And so... Um, it was really interesting. Our principal at my separate school was African-American, mm-hmm. and a lot of parents were trying to connect the social justice and civil rights aspect to mm-hmm. it. But, you know, people didn't really talk about disability in that way. It was more deficits. Mm-hmm. So um, I think uh, he was eventually persuaded, at least with some kids, to think about ways to connect them with their neighborhood schools. Mm-hmm. So that was good. It was just a slow mm-hmm. process. And then I didn't see other kids with disabilities, except my parents would set me up on these awkward play dates wow. with other kids with disabilities. <laughs> they thought, like, when you're in elementary school. I should get to know my people. But it felt like a charitable thing. It was so weird. Like, because my parents literally picked the weirdest people I would never hang out with, with or without, with or without a disability. Yeah. So, you know, kids would, like, pop the heads off their Barbie dolls and, like, yeah. have Barbie dolls make sweet love or whatever. So, you yeah. know, it was weird. I'm like, ah, oh, could you find me some more appropriate like your parents, friends? Your parents were making an attempt at, like, advocacy yeah. and they, like, were trying really hard. And the so I take of, it they didn't yeah. ask you if you wanted to go on these play dates. They just, like, Just kind of did it. No, they put me in a telethon when I was a kid, too, what? for a disability I didn't have. You you know, but I was Wait, cute. Tell me more. <laughs> there was this like famous piano player. I don't know. It was like George Hamlish or George Hamlin. I don't even know. So I was raising money for this cause, yeah. and I was just like, dial in now. You know, it was like the phone bank of people. My parents really didn't understand disability yeah. at all, and yeah. so. So they're just like trying really hard. They're trying really hard. You know, a lot of people help them. I mean, it's they were in a lot of medical debt. Yeah. So I can oh, kind of yeah. understand Absolutely. their yeah. desire to like do fundraising yeah. and help other kids get free equipment and that kind of thing. But my parents, um, my mom was a cleaning lady. Mm. Yeah. And my dad was a Vietnam vet um, that fixed typewriters and yeah. he had a lot of health what? issues. That's yeah. Such an interesting, I didn't know that was a, yeah. That's I, cool. I mean, I should have yeah. known that was a job. but yeah. Only on Etsy now, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> as a typewriter. <laughs> my dad would make a lot of money with hipsters today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he, you know, nobody had a typewriter after a while. So he yeah. had to kind of move on to a different mm. profession. And he started working for the government, like fixing guns and I'm learning how to fix computers. Oh, yeah. Tech, 
all the technical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they just thought, like, I needed something brainy for mm. a profession. They yeah. just thought, because they were working class, they didn't go to college. Like, I just needed to find something. So they really pushed me to be the nerdy girl at mm-hmm. school. And so that was an interesting mm-hmm. combination, like the disabled nerdy girl, you know. How'd that work transitioning from like a inclusion or like an enclosed school, an isolated yeah. school into this was kind it of like, Was, was it a model? difficult transition or do you feel like it was more difficult because other people made it difficult? Um, I, I think other, that's a good question. I think other people made it difficult. I think my parents were trying to provide intellectual stimulation yeah. before that because it was really mm-hmm. missing. And then there were some opportunities to, like, join kids without disabilities on field trips or have mm-hmm. these, I felt like, special guest appearances in classrooms. So it was very strange. I didn't feel like that part of the community. And then, you know, mm-hmm. starting school in third grade with kids who have already been together yeah. mm-hmm. is different. It's like joining the party in progress. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I just didn't— um, And it's not fashionably late. You're just like, yeah, late. No. You're like, it's, this is happening, and <laughs> I just got here. Yeah. Now, when's your excuse? You lived across the street. Right. So it's not like you yeah. new to town. Um, you know, and then middle school was great, and then high school. Wait, my, is that sarcasm wait, great? Middle school is, is like, great. Or I middle liked school middle is school. Cool. What you like about middle school? Nobody likes middle school, so this is great. <laughs> well, you're you're Doug, like a unicorn. <laughs> I hated high school though. Okay, okay. Well, traumatized, yeah. but you have to pick one. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't have both. There were. I just had really great teachers. I had this teacher who uh, was my sex ed teacher slash science teacher, and she would just take us out in the community, and so we'd call that project based learning now. Nice. Yeah. But it was yeah. just out and about and. I think when she like she was um, having me apply to study with these like oceanographers oh, and other cool. things, so it wasn't that she didn't see disability, but she just had high expectations for mm-hmm. me, and I had other teachers who were like that. I'm not sure I had that in elementary school, but and there were also really great opportunities to do writing and student leadership stuff, and I just I had some really creative teachers, so I really appreciated that. And oh, in middle school too. Since different elementary schools fed into that, yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like the new person anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then my parents sent me off to Catholic high school. Why? Uh, on scholarship. <laughs> oh. Well, this is a funny story. Okay, now people are going to go Google. So my public high school, there was a sex scandal. Oh, like Geraldo oh. covered it. It was the drama <laughs> teacher doing something funky. Although it was the— with We've the, had a few of those in Washington. <laughs> yeah. Shane Bell. Feel free to grab that Shane Bell when you are ready. <laughs> when I need it, I'll just be ringing the whole time. Like, what did she say? Bing, bing, bing. And I will bleep myself out at times. So It's okay. So Do you. <laughs> I believe that he was interested in boys, so, you know, that didn't really fit my, my oh, gender identity. Gee. But my parents, also my parents just didn't think it would be intellectually challenging, mm-hmm. and they want to make sure I would get into— college and maybe get some money for college. Hmm. So again, I was the new person at this parochial school and with a lot of kids that were outside of our socioeconomic demographic. Mm -hmm. I remember my parents' car, like this old Chevy Nova that kind of smelled as it pulled in, had this rust spots. I just was kind of out of place there. But you know, I think I found my stride when I I think the social justice piece kicked in when I went to college. Hmm. I still had this orientation that was very charitable towards disability. Like, Mm. I would volunteer to help other kids with disabilities, which Mm. is pretty twisted when you go back and look at it. I had no Well, it started with your telethon career or whatever. (laughs) Early days of the telethon. My, you know, TV stardom or whatever, telethon, a poster child. I've never met anyone who was in a telethon. telethon. That's interesting. I know. My career went downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) So So you started helping people— 
like, in what ways? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. yeah, like I would volunteer at nursing homes or do tutoring or, you know, go to events that were for specific disabilities mm-hmm. and like volunteer in a way, which is strange. It's like, well, I also have a disability, so. I guess I had, um, there was a lot of pressure to be more normal and to Mm -hmm. pass. Mm -hmm. And so I really absorbed a lot of that. And then I got to college and I started, continued to do volunteering. Like Mm -hmm. I went to, on this social justice scholarship to Swarthmore and it was a full ride. And then they gave you $15,000 to start a nonprofit. Wow. Yeah. It was really cool. Wait, Um, what college is this? It sounds amazing. I know. You want to go back? (laughs) It's outside of Pennsylvania. Everybody everybody thinks it's single sex, but it's been co-ed. Yeah, I feel like that's what I thought, too. Yeah, I I didn't know that. Misconceptions about Swarthmore. Thank you for busting the misconceptions. Yeah. Eugene Lang, that big education donor, he was a graduate of Swarthmore, yeah. so oh, he okay. paid for my scholarship. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, so we had this whole community of folks that wanted to do social justice work, and it was great support. But, you know, I went there. I started volunteering in this housing project outside of Swarthmore, and then I started mm-hmm. volunteering with the National Black Women's Health Project. Finally, I had this teacher, this professor, who was queer and a person of color, and she was slowly losing her hearing, and she said to me, we had a journal about our experiences and volunteering mm-hmm. and being in the community. And she said, why aren't you working on your own stuff? And I just kind of looked at her blankly. <laughs> what stuff? You know? And mm. she said, you have a disability. I'm like, wow, that's a little impolite to say. <laughs> <laughs> and she told me what she was going through and then how it connected with her identity. So which was really mm. cool. She just started to connect me this yeah. national network, especially women with huh. disabilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time, we were trying to figure out, figure I was, out who you are. And, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. am I going to get married if I want to get married? Um, I was a late bloomer. Like, am I going to date people? Am I? What's that going to look f- like? How comfortable am I going to be in my own skin? Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciated that. And so then I got to use the money to start a mentoring program for young women with disabilities who are in Mm -hmm. high school and talk about things like career and transition and sexuality. And it was really great. But I wouldn't have, you know, I I just think it was really important that she was in my life in that way. Mm -hmm. And it was just really serendipitous with the timing. Yeah. And... But it caused a riff with my parents because, oh, interesting. yeah, their experience was completely different. They had really thought the way to get through was to help to minimize my physical disabilities mm. as much as possible and mm. um, just kind of adapt to my environment rather than expecting anything to change, mm-hmm. which is really pragmatic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and good advice in many ways. It got me to where I was, but it didn't make me like myself very much. So mm-hmm. she really saw that, and mm. I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. She sounds like a very insightful, like, thoughtful human who saw, yeah, yeah who just kind of, yeah. Yeah. So I have so many questions. So you said it kind of yeah. created a rift with your parents. Is that something that's still ongoing or have you all kind of worked? I mean, not to get all personal. And, <laughs> and, Would you like up? to talk it's about like your Oprah parents? Here. Have I told you about how I have a group of friends from college where we're not allowed to talk about our dads? Because it's like oh. if we start to talk about our parents, we all get kind of weepy and just want to like drink. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, you got to set some boundaries. You might be able to. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think so, although maybe we're at a point where we just don't talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. they were visiting recently, and I p- played Crip Hop for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Hip Hop by Disabled People. What? 
Yeah. Oh my god. It's actually got a term though. Crip hop. Yeah. Like cripple hop. Mm-hmm. We can go back to that. So okay. there's a great so song. Free. It's called "By Wheelchair Sports Camp." And no, it's not a camp for kids with disabilities, which my parents sent me to as well. Um, <laughs> I think they needed some free time. I understand. <laughs> but so there's this great group, and uh, there's this song called "Hard Out Here for a Gimp." So mm. I made my mom listen to it, and she. She was silent. I think the song's about five minutes long. Yeah. And she looked very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. So, you know, we've had moments of conversation. I just think that the more that I understood who I was and connected with community, like, and I started a nonprofit after law school, Mm -hmm. the more they just thought, you need a stable job Mm -hmm. and you need to fit in as much as possible. And Mm -hmm. so that's been different. I mean, my dad has disabilities from his service in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. may have even caused my disability because of his exposure to Agent Orange. But, you know, how he relates Mm -hmm. to that in his own body and not being born with disabilities Mm -hmm. and aging is very different Mm -hmm. than being born with a disability. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, you know. So in college, you start this nonprofit. Yeah. And then is that still going on? No, it's okay. not. Um, but I, what I did was I had uh, started the program with another nonprofit that was in Chicago okay. under the Rehab oh, cool. Institute of Chicago, and they had a women's health center. Mm-hmm. So they continued it on in many ways. Oh, cool. Know, yeah, yeah, it was cool. It's going to pass the baton to yeah, yeah, like, yeah. put it. And when I was in Philly, I was doing it there. And so... But working with younger people with disabilities just kind of continued. Mm-hmm. When I was in law school, mm-hmm. I did a lot of mentoring with law. I mean, out of law school, um, and a law professor doing a lot of mentoring with law students with disabilities and helping support the National mm-hmm. Association of Law Students with Disabilities. So mm-hmm. it was good. Yeah, I, mean, I just think because so many people, I just understand that. I mean, what yeah. if you don't have a professor like I did, yeah. or someone else in your mm-hmm. life, you don't get a counter narrative to what we yeah. see out there. Yeah. So how did you decide to go to law school? Yeah, was it like did you see oh. a need or like what was the what was your catalyst for choosing law school? You know, uh, it would be great if I just said it was all about social justice. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it sounds great. <laughs> well, but also practically. <laughs> well, you know, um, when I was doing the mentoring program in Chicago at the Women's Institute, I really thought I wanted to be a psychologist mm-hmm. and there were a lot of group therapy experiences there and women's groups. And I got kind of frustrated with them because with the kind of format, I thought it served one need, but it didn't really deal with the practical issues people Mm. are having with discrimination Mm. or domestic violence Mm -hmm. having caused their disability or lack of access to reproductive health care. And so Mm -hmm. I became interested in the law in that way. But, you know, when I look back, I also got tired of being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that would be either a shield or a sword, (laughs) you know, and having. Or both. Yeah. yeah. A shield and a sword. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Don't come at me. I'll hit you with my cane. Um, And, you know, I just I just thought, yeah, I mean, I thought it would help me in some ways. But law school itself was the most homogenous experience that Mm -hmm. I had. Mm -hmm. It's like the anti-college experience it's pretty elitist of course well and you also went to harvard i did go to harvard so naive (laughs) oh my gosh the diversity of harvard (laughs) (laughs) harvard like i have questions about harvard because i've been on that campus when i was in high school i went to the harvard speech and debate tournament which was like was fancy yeah super (laughs) super nerdy. nerdy um but like that i mean that i guess this the way that people view harvard as being such a um 
an important place, right, for education. Yeah. Like, um, do you feel like, do you feel like, what was the thing that, um, did you feel like you fit in there? Or, like, if you didn't, like, what was the, what was, you know, what, how were you treated that, I don't know, did you, was Harvard for you, right? Yeah, they haven't gotten any donation money, so you should probably stop mailing, <laughs> mailing stuff to me. Get yeah. smarter, Harvard. Um, anyway, yeah, no, you know, on the one hand, I got a lot of messages from people to go to the best law school possible, yeah. that that would open doors for employment for me. And it really, I'm in a good place now, but it really didn't. And I got there, and um, you know, I hadn't had any surgeries between ages five and when I'm there at 22. Mm, yeah. But I was trying to carry around all these books around campus. Mm. My hips were very arthritic. I ended up having two hip replacements in law school. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I started using an electric scooter there. So this is all context that I was becoming more disabled, and mm. I was dealing with that myself. But people were so weird. Oh, my God. So there would be, you know, the push <laughs> yeah. button. Well, most of the buildings yeah. weren't accessible, so I had right. to leave my little mobility they all, they all got They all got— Because no. they're all stairs They all got grandfathered right? in with, like, ADA. They weren't—they're not ADA compliant at all, like, yeah. not even close. And some of them don't even have, like— They're not they're not oh, even retrofitted with the, like— with the lift. The lifts or anything, uh, though, is terrible. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's precious, right? Here are these of course, buildings yeah. of our founding word. fathers. We right. need to keep them and name them after <laughs> dead white guys. Yeah. So and everything's I, dark stained wood and it's just like, yeah. don't touch it. <laughs> you need yeah. a smoking jacket and <laughs> yeah, some scars exactly. and an accent and to speak Latin, right? Yeah, there you right. Go. <laughs> so people weren't sure what to do. Like I would see this deer in the headlights look. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be a few hundred feet away, but they'd kind of see this electric granny scooter zooming towards them. And there would be the push button on some of the buildings. And yeah. they would, they're like, should I push it? Yeah. Should I push it? Oh. <laughs> or they would just leave the door like, I honor your independence. And so... It was weird. People were weird with me. And um, the access was hard. Like you're talking about Mm. the lack of accessibility. I would leave that little electric scooter outside and then the battery wouldn't work and I'd have to take a blow dryer Uh, and get it going. Well, because it's so cold in the winter. It's like crazy. It's like, you know, 20 below and you're trying to get your scooter to start. It's not like, yeah, I can't. That's probably so frustrating. It was. And I didn't see other students with disabilities mm-hmm. until my last year. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to talk to my professors. They weren't very accessible. I went. So law firms would come to campus mm-hmm. and they would interview people in hotel rooms, which is kind of sketchy. That. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so a little dodgy. sketchy. Me yeah. too. All over the place. Like oh it was gosh. a bad dynamic. That's weird. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes they push the bed out of the way or whatever and there'd be some chairs, what? a little sofa there. They freaked out when I came in. I didn't bring the scooter in, but when yeah. I came in with a cane, yeah. you have 15-minute interviews. It's called the meat market. Yeah. I mean, you meet people, but yeah. you are meat. Ew. And as a vegan, you. Yeah, as yeah. a vegan, <laughs> yeah. you're not a you're not Satan. <laughs> More like Satan. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> no tofu cutlet. No. So <laughs> seriously, they were tripping over themselves. They weren't sure where I should sit, and so you have 15 minutes. You're like, people, calm the heck down. Seriously, you need to interview. So I didn't get law. People would tell me to go into disability rights law. And they didn't know anything about my background. I wasn't even thinking about going into disability rights law. I came thinking, maybe I'll do civil rights law. Maybe Mm. I'll do employment or criminal law. I honestly, when I got there, wasn't sure why I was there, like many people. But, you know, they were kind of pushing me along in a different direction. I needed to pay down my law school loans. Mm -hmm. I needed to see what other fields look like. And 
they didn't really want to have me. So I started to, I never saw their lawyers mm. with disabilities around. I finally met one when I interned at the Department of Justice during law school. And I was so weird towards him. It's like, oh my gosh. You felt weird. <laughs> He's a unicorn or a chupacabra. Yeah. Tell me about your life. Are you a real lawyer? <laughs> he, was really, he was really good with it. And then I got to meet other people yeah. and that helped. But I just was so conditioned and, you know, started yeah. to believe that. I was the weird one there. But it was good for community. I started hanging out with a lot of LGBTQ people and women of color. And we were all feeling marginalized in different ways because it was just so white. It's a stuffy white male institution. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned – so it sounds like you've had kind of some different um, experiences that have helped shape your identity to like where you're at today. Mm. So, I mean, you hit on a couple of significant ones. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things we're talking about is the idea of passing. Would you mind like talking about that a little bit more? How does that – because I – haven't really thought about that in yeah. like, the only context work. I know about that in is passing a straight. Well, I know about I, it in context of race. Actually, well, yeah. I think about it in terms of race. Yeah, I don't. And that makes sense that you would t- yeah. think about it in terms of. That's why do you think I don't have really short hair? Like <laughs> you, I sent you that picture. Sorry, I want to come. No, come my hair really short, but yeah. like part of it is like yeah. is passing, right? So like, what does that mean to you as a disabled person? Yeah. Well, I have other disabilities besides my physical one. Like, I have ADD, and I think there's a real strong pressure to not mm. share that with colleagues. or Because then they'll read back, mm. oh, she was late to that meeting because of ADD, or she's not paying attention mm. to me. And huh. and that's just not it. But, you know, it's interesting. When I was a law professor, I started to interview women lawyers with disabilities. And there's this whole stereotype about people with disabilities that were litigious, like we're going to find a broken button and sue you or a lack of a mm. ramp and sue. And and these are lawyers. So it's kind oh. of asking them, how do you use the law? Yeah. How do your clients respond to you? Mm. And many of them self-accommodated. They did whatever they could at times to not even share their mm. disability yeah. if it wasn't apparent with colleagues. Mm. I think there's so much shame around disability, particularly mental health disabilities, mm-hmm. learning disabilities, that people or, you know, folks who are living with HIV or AIDS, that people want to try to keep it to themselves. Like, why mm-hmm. would you share that? I had a, I've mm-hmm. had a couple colleagues who have told me, even in state government, after spending time with me, and sometimes I, you know, I encourage people to come out because I mm-hmm. think we need more examples of what people mm-hmm. look like. Like, we're just out there. There's so many people with disabilities out there. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. And they said, but what's the benefit? And I, you know, that makes me pause because, yeah. What is the benefit? I mean, you're probably going to have a lot more stuff flung at you um, Mm -hmm. in a way that isn't pleasant and you feel vulnerable. So I think there's a real strong pressure in society to be as normal, to Mm -hmm. be fixed, Mm -hmm. like this really big cure mentality rather than thinking, where do we start in designing our environments? Mm -hmm. And how do things like ableism reinforce Mm -hmm. racism, this whole idea of normativity? And that disability, a lot, you know, in many ways is socially constructed. I'm not saying people don't have real physical and mental impairments, mm-hmm. but the disability is the disconnect with how they're mm-hmm. received in society or how they navigate a physical space because yeah. who had the power to create those right. structures? Disability dis- more describes like our res- yeah. social response. It's not yeah. something mm-hmm. that's like inherently wrong with a person. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, like, um, I was just thinking about kind of visibility and how that it's kind of a double-edged sword where on one side if you're more visible then you're more in demand as like a token or as Uh like to be used for your oh can you come talk about your disability right Mm -hmm. um and on the other side of that it's like visibility really matters a lot right so like what are some what do you think are some wins for visibility like in terms of what what's a what's some good visibility that's positive for um just recognizing i don't know um 
just recognize people with disabilities? Like what, where's that happening that's positive? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like disability often takes the form of our inspirational speaker, Uh right? Or I love inspiration porn. Like tis the season (laughs) for inspiration porn. You know, when you see those precious little uh, memes about the attractive high school athlete asking this poor yeah. girl with disability. Yeah, how do you prom. feel about all those things? I actually want to get into. Yeah. I want to. I want it. I ring the bell. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And I want to vomit, but not on the microphone. <laughs> well, I think that's the flip side of representation, right? It's where we privilege non-disabled people mm-hmm. over disabled people. We essentialize. We don't even know who these people are. In many cases, yeah. their faces yeah. are turned away from us. Mm-hmm. And so we're just, you know, like, we're good people. Like, mm-hmm. much as we can do with race. Like, I'm a good white person because I have put this up. I have mm-hmm. a feel-good moment about yeah. disability. You know, there's some really interesting people doing work around representation. I Lawrence Carter Long talks about just say the word, like say disabled, because mm-hmm, yeah. saying disabled is reclaiming some of that language that society disables mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Some people are not comfortable with that. Um, Alyssa Thompson, through Ramp Your Voice, had a disability so white, or maybe it's disability too white, Twitter campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, on Instagram, there's this whole crippled punk mm-hmm. Uh can't uh, like campaign there's 365 days with disability on Instagram and so you see other images of people with disabilities just doing normal boring stuff like I just did a presentation for um a large employer that is taking over our world, but delivers great packages to my door. <laughs> and, um, I their, have no idea who that would be. their legal <laughs> department. It's Etsy. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish. I'd love to be hired by Etsy. I have no skills related to it, but anyway, not Etsy. Um, so anyway, I did this presentation. I was trying to think about images, so I asked my friends who were mm-hmm. I probably can't cuss, but doing kick whatever work that— Go ahead. You can say kick ass. I'm going to say kick ass. That's great. <laughs> I won't start using the F word, though. Kick it's up to you. Our guests can do whatever they want. <laughs> you do you. Plus, it's like a Saturday morning. And so the like, FCC, whatever. bleep, doing bleep, kick ass work. And, you know, they're doing everything from— being lawyers for the government to going and testifying before the legislature to working— um, in my office to being at, you know, the Pride Parade. I was like, just send me pictures of you being your boring kick-ass selves. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just this did this collage of that because I don't think we see people who are just out and about. I mean, structurally, mm-hmm. we have barriers for people being out and about. Yeah. People also feel really stigmatized and not welcome mm-hmm. into spaces. So that was really important for me and kind of a counter to that inspiration mm-hmm. porn. Yeah. I like that term, even inspiration. inspiration porn. Porn. Really There's yeah. a great TED talk on it by Stella Young, okay. Okay. and it's the title is "I'm Not Your Inspiration." So she yeah. talks about a common experience that many of us have. Like people give me free shit at stores or whatever. Yeah. They'll come up with their half-consumed <laughs> drink at Starbucks, and that you know other people will pray over you, and they just like have this whole charitable. Model. Just like without asking you, just oh like God. up in your business. Oh God, yeah, I'm buying yogurt at the grocery store, or whatever, and somebody will put their arm on me and say, "You are so inspiring." 
for what? I'm out and about. Like, like I'm buying yogurt. What do you expect? <laughs> you know, yes, I believe in calcium. Thank you. <laughs> no, or like, or like, my, I, like I am so very annoying. regular because of the probiotics. Yeah. I am inspiring. <laughs> my gut is Thank really you. happy. Take your germy yeah. hands off of me. Don't touch me with your bad germs. <laughs> I'm getting good germs. I'm saying it's such audacity to like. Well, am I assuming yeah. it's mostly white folks, right, who are doing this? Yes, okay. it is, and usually white women. And yeah, they're like, oh, white women. Good. And I'm oh. like, stop with yourselves. Like, I just, I think so much of the time I'm like, let people have their personal space. But yeah. maybe I err on the other way where I'm like trying yeah. to over. And then I leave I people know. too much space. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So how do you even respond to people? What doing do you that do? Kind of yeah, that's so weird. Um, you know, my friends are like, they have suggestions for how to respond. Usually you're just in a moment where you're doing your stuff. And I'm just so blindsided by it yeah. that yeah. I just, you know, sometimes I'll just turn red. Other times I'll just kind of like, okay, and walk away. <laughs> But people just won't even take a clue. Like, I've had people people overshare. They don't have physical boundaries. They'll come up and tell you about their divorce just because you what? look more vulnerable. People tell me too much. People, you if you're out there, will post a picture. Do not talk to me about stuff if you don't know me. Because they. I think there's this perception wow. that I'm somehow suffering more or I'm a safe person. So they just project all this stuff. And it's in random spaces. That's so weird. It is really weird. And so then, note to the listeners, if you're that person or you've done that, don't do reel that. it in. Don't, don't do, do that. And That's I don't so have weird. a visual impairment, so you yeah. don't have to tell me there's a tripping hazard. And you also <laughs> don't have to tell wow. me patronizingly, oh this is God. usually white man, slow down. There's no rush. And like, this is my normal speed. This you, is how fast I go. Yeah, Wait, this is how me. I'm also running away from you. So please, <laughs> please let me run like the wind to get away from you. Wow. It happens. Yeah. It happens a lot. And so it's this weird thing. My daughter is adopted from Ukraine and it was really important for us to adopt a kid with disabilities. My husband's Filipino. The interesting thing is when we're out and about. Everyone assumes that she is my biological child, huh. even if Fred is there. Like, And so they always just assume that we're a unit. They'll say we look so much alike or something. And I did not adopt a kid to be a mini-me. Yeah. So I don't really see that. And it's just a weird way of relating and making assumptions. Yeah. At the same time, though, I have friends who have had kids just heard a friend tell this story on Facebook yesterday. She lives down in Tacoma. That um, people will make comments like, how dare you have a child? What? Like, how dare you pass that along? What? So you're either a hero or you're a demon. Yeah. And the dichotomy narrative is just really hard. It, it feels like for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah. Wow. it is. It's very, it's so, very bizarre. It kind of goes back to that, like how society is, um, society is what, what creates the disability mm-hmm. because like, Everyone has all these um, constructs of what it means to be able-bodied, or what it you know that yeah. that they they project all their weird baggage on to people with disabilities. That doesn't. That's so weird. I don't like. I'm trying to wrap my brain around how 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 weird that is. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, the adoption and like yeah. your daughter and kind of how you came to? How that? old is your daughter? She has turned nine oh. on Monday. It was a three-day celebration. Age. Oh, God. <laughs> Three days? That's a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, she kind of demanded it. She's kind of funny. <laughs> her nurse in Ukraine, handed, her nurse didn't have great English, but handed her to us and was like, she's going to be a lawyer. I was like, I hope the hell not. <laughs> I think she was right. Like, I, she argues with me all the time. So um, it was weird. I was at a conference for, uh, like, universities supporting students with disabilities, 
a colleague and I did a workshop on law students with disabilities, the lack of diversity in the legal profession in general. Mm-hmm. And this young woman who had a similar disability to mine, who was 19, 20, came up to me and said, what's your disability? And then asked me a lot, like, are you married? Are you going to have kids? Whatever. And then I told her, I have this rare disability. It's one in 100,000 births. It's called Larson syndrome. I've never met somebody in person with it. And in her dismissive 20-something-year-old way, she said, whatever. I just had a friend who adopted a kid from Ukraine with it. So I said, oh, I'm happy to be a resource. She said, and there's another little girl in Ukraine with it waiting to be adopted. So I came home from the conference. And by then, I had a picture of this kid on my Mm, phone, this little girl. And, you know, my husband said, how did your panel or workshop go? And I said, Shoving the phone in his face. Do you want to adopt a kid? He's like, <laughs> and he's a software engineer. It really didn't, I swear. Like, I felt like there's a little ticker tape coming out, like a dot matrix printer. <laughs> cannot compute. Cannot compute. <laughs> so he did talk to me the rest of the weekend. That was good. Um, and, you know, I think if we were going to adopt, we always thought we would just adopt through foster care. And there's mm-hmm. so many things about international adoption that didn't quite resonate with us. Yeah. But I always wanted to adopt a kid with a disability because I felt like, Maybe they could have, I mean, certainly there's stigma in having a parent with a disability, mm-hmm. but at those mm-hmm. times when you're feeling like you're not fitting in, maybe they could have a different experience than I did. Because mm-hmm. you think most people with disabilities are not born into families where their parents have disabilities. Yeah, right, yeah. So that is a disconnect. And um, so they don't place a hold on any kids for adoption. We went through this whole process where we started applying in May, and then we got a call on election day um, to go, this was in 2012, to go like three days later. And you don't buy wow. a return ticket. You strap money to your body. So that's a time <laughs> when you do want to go in that private TSA room. Usually I take the free massage and pat down, but I don't want you feeling up my, my money. And then <laughs> and then there has to be like clean, pristine bills. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a yeah. whole thing. And then... Um, they also don't adopt to people with disabilities. So we weren't sure if they would adopt me. So I learned quickly how to say that, uh, and now I, I can't say it, but that I was a law professor. Like, yeah. that's what I would say. It was where, yeah. like, the sword and the shield, like, yeah. I might have a cane, but I'm a law professor. Yeah, so also, it's, like, fine all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, I also said, uh, I learned how to say that my husband was a chipmunk because you need to have a funny phrase, oh. you know. <laughs> I was like, my, uh, I don't know, my, my mush at a Burunduk. Someone speaking Russian is like, that's really bad stuff. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, yeah, we had this process and it was, you know, the experiences of being the reactions of having a disability in Ukraine and being with my brown husband there were really not uh, heartening, didn't make me love humanity. I mean, there are times where I was being pushed through the train station because people thought I was going too slowly for a train that wasn't coming for two hours. Uh, And people are just shocked because people with disabilities are institutionalized there. Uh So our daughter was in this children's home, but it's an orphanage, and there are just all these kids with disabilities there, and then they age out and go to mental institutions with adults. And Even if it's not a mental disability. Yep, it doesn't really matter. There. It's like you weren't mm-hmm. adoptable. You're going to mm-hmm. go to this place. And so families don't keep their kid in their own home and, like, take care of them. The way that we – I would – I think mm-hmm. mostly in the States we do that, right? I mean, we, yeah. we you keep your child and – 
Yeah, I mean, there was a time period in the States where you didn't do that, right? Yeah, Up until the 50s, true. 60s, where mm-hmm. people didn't even know that they had a sibling with a disability because they quietly went somewhere else. It was as late as the 50s and 60s? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And Washington State had a sterilization and eugenics right. law. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're real big on the institutions and the separate schools. And, you know, in Ukraine, it's a it's seen as a burden on the family mm-hmm. and in other places in the world. And so people, there's a lot of pressure from families and communities to just kind of move on. And, uh, you know, that's a painful thing to be mm-hmm. there and to see that because there are all these kids that are great. Mm-hmm. Some of the families do come and visit their kids. A lot of kids with fetal alcohol syndrome, HIV, mm-hmm. um, Down syndrome, and other kinds of disabilities. But for the most part, yeah. and some of the kids were taken from their parents because yeah. their parents couldn't support them and support their needs. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for the most part, kids are just left there. And um, quality of care isn't great. Our daughter had an amazing nurse there that mm-hmm. still keeps in touch. It was oh, the reason why she joined Facebook and Instagram. Oh. <laughs> and um, she just sent birthday gifts from oh, Ukraine, great. which were really fun to open on Monday. Uh, so I, I think we really, we say this a lot, that we really lucked out in terms yeah. of attachment stuff. Mm-hmm. And our daughter is amazing and funny. And That was 2012, you said? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So she was almost four when we adopted her. Yeah. She just started walking and talking. Um, we weren't sure what to expect. They don't yeah. give you any information about health. And we mm. just moved to Seattle. Yeah. I got mommy tracked in my law school teaching. And and uh, so we moved here. And Mommy tracked? Say more. Mommy tracked doesn't. I think I know what you mean. But... I was not really offered appropriate leave <laughs> uh, to adopt. Oh, yeah. And I was told that they would hold my job for a year. But there was no way that I wanted to go back to that. Um, yeah. And I had seen other women in my law mm-hmm. school especially women who were single and chose to be parents, mm-hmm. um, just kind of made punitively to make up that time over yeah. the years for having kids. So, so why did yeah. you move to Seattle then, or how did you end up? We had always loved Seattle, um, and my husband's parents immigrated separately here yeah. from the Philippines and met on a bus in Seattle. That's all they'll tell Aww. us about their love story. <laughs> and um, so we Seattle transit. Aww. Seattle bring transit. Bring people together. You bring know? people together. Look at this marriage. Yeah. Pick up people. Success we'll pick you story. up and you pick up others. Yeah, you don't need a dating app. Just get on the bus. <laughs> yeah. Get on the bus. Uh, Please, people, don't talk to me on the bus, yeah. though. We've already established so no yogurt aisle, no bus. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't talk to me unless you have something interesting to say and it's not about your marriage crumbling or your right. hemorrhoids or whatever you want to share. <laughs> so weird. Oh my. People tell way me too, too much. much. Yeah, way too much. Wow. I don't know. So, um, so we, yeah, my yeah. husband's a software engineer. Wait, how did you two meet? I'm curious about that. Met online. Oh, okay. Nice. We met on Nerve.com. We've been together 15 Nerve. years. Com? Yeah, it was okay. Salon's personal ads. Oh. I was studying for the bar, but not really studying well for yeah. it. My friends <laughs> studying by online dating. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I'm not a very good uh, studier in that way. I'm a very good student. My friends thought I was out um, really studying because I was clerking for a judge at the time, and I was out on all these internet dates. I still passed. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> but it was funny. So, um, so we met online. We got everything online. We got a car, got a house, you know, all, in some ways oh, a kid wow. almost online. Um, and so it's just the way to go. We were early adopters. And uh, <laughs> so we moved to Seattle because he got a job offer. And then I knew nothing about Seattle schools. So just coming so coming with mm. a kid that experienced trauma, was an English language learner. 
all I the was, things. All these things. I'm like, progressive Seattle. It'll yeah. work out. And yeah. it totally didn't. I, yeah. you know. Because Seattle they... likes to pretend that we're real progressive about things in the Northwest. We're so open. And then there's so, we've got so many problems and we yeah. are facing them. And don't talk about them. Because, yeah. Yeah, the, no. yeah, it's a, it's a problem. If I couldn't, I just kept thinking if I can't navigate this given my background and then my privilege, my economic privilege, my husband's a nerd who went to MIT. Like, if we can't figure out your webpage or, you know, your child find <laughs> phone is never picking up. Yeah. yeah I essentially on. got special ed services because I was complaining to my massage therapist whose ex-girlfriend was a school psych. And she took some papers in and moved them around. Like, really? shoved them on wow. someone's desk. So that was through Seattle Public Schools. It was a lesbian hookup. Not yeah. to, that's awesome. <laughs> Not to drag Seattle Public Schools. Yeah. But we know there's a lot of people. Queer people yeah, helping out. This has been yeah. a few years. I'm sure your phone works. Um, yes, yeah, I know it does. But it was just really hard to navigate. And I think informal parent knowledge was great and and other things. But I was so disoriented. I was a new parent who has all these delays in getting their kids set up. And then also, you know, as teachers, like supporting kids in different systems. When we think Mm -hmm. about people existing in silos, we're not – and the system is structured that way. I think resources are really hard. There are really great people on the ground that I've met. My Mm -hmm. daughter's had amazing teachers and support professionals in her life, but there can be a lot of dysfunction in coordinating those systems. It's like, choose ELL or special ed, or we can be trauma-informed, but then we're not going to attend to some of the PT and OT stuff. So nothing's perfect, but kids don't come on just one track. So I remember in your Ignite presentation, you alluded to, you were thinking that things were going to be different for your daughter than they were for you. Mm -hmm. And were you like very cognizant of like making those choices different than your parents did? And then how did that actually play out? Because you hinted at like it was the same old, same old. Yeah. Even after all these years. You know, it was hard. My daughter experienced bullying at school and has already. And so, you know, even in our progressive Mm-hmm. Precious little neighborhood. Uh, I we, love your word, precious. It's, it's like, precious. <laughs> Everything is very precious. Um, and, you know, we were told to live in a certain neighborhood, take advantage of certain schools that don't necessarily serve her all that well. I mean, there may be other parts of the city that where there's greater racial diversity, socioeconomic diversity, where she would fit in more culturally. And then I think the other piece is that it's very weird to be a parent with a disability. We went to, like, one of these celebrations of readers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're sitting in these small groups and your kids are reading aloud stuff. The teacher is great. She pulls out this chair. Mm-hmm. She knows. It's like, yeah. access. Sit in my chair. I'm like, ooh, I feel empowered. <laughs> so one of these moms turns to me. Well, her daughter says, like, who's that? And so one of the moms, uh, her mom says, that's Dasha's mom. And then she goes to look at my husband and she's so bewildered. <laughs> Fred and I were joking. Like, we should have been like, that's... Her lover. <laughs> That's her houseboy. That's her pool boy. She doesn't have a pool, but you know. Nate and I are often like, we're like, where'd you meet? And he's and he will say, in prison. And then I follow and then I like co ed prison. Right. And then I, I follow up with, yeah, when he came to visit me and like, you know, preach yeah, the we'll gospel visit. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Preach the gospel. And then we fell in love. That's That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> kind of manipulate all their stereotypes. This is a really great way to do re entry. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> So many innuendos. <laughs> I know. So I am like funny. a 10 year old boy. It's fine. Maybe 11 or 12. I don't really know when that inappropriateness kicks in. I had a, I had a question for you. I was wondering about, because like thinking about um, like your husband being Filipino, your like language diversity in your household, like when, we talking, when you're talking about disability rights and like um, 
how does that intersect with racial equity issues? Like, where do you see that? I mean, you mentioned a couple of uh, examples, but like, what is the, where do you see the connection there? Because there is one and I'm interested to hear what you think about that. I'm really, I was reading this great book um, called Discrit, and it's about the intersection of critical race theory Mm -hmm. and movements with disability. And really shows this history of how we have determined who's defective, Mm -hmm. who's not worthy, just even, um, you know, thinking about our history of saying that slaves who wanted to leave had, like, drapetomania. So how do we sort people for the own power of dominant folks, Mm -hmm. and that we decide that one thing is normal and desirable Uh and the rest of people are disposable. So one of the things they say in this book is that racism reinforces ableism and ableism Mm, reinforces racism. I in no way think they're the same thing. And I often think that in social movements, people are like, what about me? You haven't considered me. Mm. And, And, you know, me too. And they kind of subsume the conversation. But what I some of my best support in law school and other places has been from people of color because I think there's this experience, whether it's of the grocery store experience of people projecting mm-hmm. their shit onto you <laughs> and thinking that you're a safe person or an unsafe person. Mm-hmm. I think the stereotypes, like with disability, there's the really nice person with a disability who's all smiley and cheerful and makes you feel good. And then there's the angry, like, welfare queen mm-hmm. who's just taking all these mm-hmm. benefits and being a drain on society. I also think that um, you know, there's so much... So many ways in which, and there's a lot of stigma around this. It's hard to talk about it. I see that in um, Mm -hmm. educational opportunity work Mm -hmm. that people with disabilities don't necessarily look like me. They're not white ladies with canes. Mm Because of environmental racism, Mm -hmm. lack of health care, discrimination makes us sick, Mm -hmm. people with disabilities are more often to be people of color Mm -hmm. worldwide. Um, And then... We don't. We see that disproportionality in things like special right. ed, where yep. it used mm-hmm. to be that black boys were in learning disability categories. Well, yeah. now we're even more afraid of them. We put them in emotional, behavioral yeah, disorder right. categories, and then you know, what kind of schooling does that look like? Mm-hmm. White kids with the same diagnosis are more likely to be educated in their neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and you see other kids who are going off to institutions or in the JJ system. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of practical intersection as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is really great and a source of support, but it is it is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friends who are people of color with disabilities have said, you know, disability is too white. The yeah. leadership has been white men mm. and who look a certain way, who use wheelchairs. Mm. It hasn't necessarily been welcoming of even white women, let alone people of color, mm-hmm. queer people of color, trans people of color, mm-hmm. women of color, and so. English language, you know, LEP or second language speakers for English in the movement. Um, And so just kind of like thinking Mm -hmm. about how did the civil rights movement change? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of charitable approaches like Mm -hmm. the NAACP. White people just want to be all up in that. And I think (laughs) we also see that with Mm non-disabled people who are parents and have a different experience than their kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Or siblings where allyship is important, but you shouldn't take over an entire movement. Yeah. So can you talk about some of the challenges yeah. within that a, a yeah. little bit more? Like I'm curious yeah. about how to be a good ally, mm-hmm. um, like you mentioned, but also, um, like you said, just talking about you, – you mentioned inclusion yeah. before, right? So like what does yeah. that look like, authentic well, like, inclusion? Like uh, as someone who is able-bodied, like what is my – like what is our responsibility mm-hmm. – 
at, to our, I don't know, like be better. Like how do we, I don't know. How do we all do the that? answers? Give us all the Tell answers. Tell us how to fix stuff. <laughs> all the answers. You seem to know all well, the I mean, things. Tell us. <laughs> Are you going to pick up that yogurt? That looks pretty good. <laughs> Tell me how to fix I all the problems. I stopped eating yogurt. They'll find me in the sure. alcohol aisle. <laughs> I think all people with disabilities are alcoholics. Oh. <laughs> oh it needs to be an excuse when I trip in the alcohol aisle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So thinking about, I mean, yeah. what does yeah. it look like? What, what are some of the bigger challenges, I think? Yeah. I think you hinted at them, but. There is a challenge around language and representation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, like with other issues, we know when people are trying to authentically engage. So it's mm-hmm. not so much about being PC. I really have a whole thing against saying special needs because I think that really mm-hmm. comes from parents and people who are uncomfortable with disability. I've never met a disability rights activist or advocate who says their special needs as an adult. I mean, mm-hmm. that's about kids. Mm-hmm. And for me, I also think you want to say the word disability because it connects to the Americans with Disabilities Act. It connects okay. to IDEA. So we're kind of dancing around it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, There's almost a cohesion in that, like, using yeah. disability, like, because yeah. it connects in all these different contexts. Well, yeah. I, and I think one of the reasons I wanted um, yeah. you to talk a little bit about language, yeah. too, is, like, in education, I think about some training I had where we was like, you don't say disability. You think say, like, different able. I mean, I went yeah. to Evergreen, right? So, like, all the different versions of things and mm-hmm. I mean we know language changes well, over like, time the thing about being PC too like you said is that like we are like white women teachers are like the 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 leaders the of worst at that PC <laughs> language like that's what we do we we trade in PC language but so we're like we're really the... bad at like actually yeah. paying attention to our language it right has so like what's the yeah well and you know I think within disability movement we would say that you're non-disabled for yeah. example so it's Shifting the point of reference, there is a big move to use person-first language. I think that's generally the polite default. But, you know, I, I will say, and I said to my law students, they looked at me oddly, that I'm a crip. Like, mm-hmm. I'm reclaiming that word. Like, mm-hmm. people reclaim the word queer, cripple. And I will say that I'm disabled because I'm a disabled woman because, like we were talking about earlier, I feel like society mm-hmm. disables me. My mm-hmm. impairments are separate. Mm-hmm. But it's really how I interact. You know, another challenge is— and I was really interested in this and depressed by it um, as a lawyer is that we've had the ADA for 20-something years, yeah. almost mm-hmm. 30 years. And employment rates for people with disabilities have not changed. Mm-hmm. So we have In all that time? No, That's... they really haven't. And so – what does that say to us? I think mm-hmm. attitudinal barriers are the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. But then all the research shows that you need to be around people and, like, mm-hmm. be buying yogurt with them without having that intimate conversation about your hysterectomy <laughs> for that to shift. Right. To have a possibility of shifting. Like Let's go to the grocery <laughs> store <laughs> after like, for a snack. Yeah. Um, so you need to, you need to have – that you need to see people yeah. around you because then you'll calm the hell down, right? Or maybe you won't, but you it just has to be like parents around you, principals yeah. around you, teachers. I think that's so important in the diversity of our workforce mm. when it comes to teachers. Um, and I, I think for teachers of color, I think for teachers who have been, you know, ELL students, I think about teachers with disabilities, whether mm. you know, non apparent or apparent and really visible. So you need that. But how do you start that? Because yeah. we've created communities in which if you're out there stimming, if you're a person who identifies as being autistic, then people are mm-hmm. a bit afraid of you. We have associated now mental health with yeah. violence yeah. and violent yeah. rampages. And so taking control of representation is mm-hmm. hard. I always like to, and I did this with my students, you know, 
I always like to provide some background that disability is a civil rights movement. The people with disabilities fought. They chained themselves to buses to get civil rights laws. It didn't Mm -hmm. happen to them passively. It wasn't because of our generosity as a society. There were great allies in that. Mm -hmm. I also think that folks who are allies need to honor that as we would in other circles. Mm -hmm. I hear too many people, largely from parents, who say, oh, that person is a self-advocate. I'm like, we don't say... Black people are self-advocates, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You're just advocates. This is your shit. You're doing it. Yeah. And so you're an ally. So why should this be different? And so I think it's Mm -hmm. about having those respectful conversations, asking people what they want to be called, Mm. asking how you can be helpful, um, not making it about yourself. I mean, I recently had a conversation with someone who said, uh, how do I support this other disabled person? Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, I want to honor that they want to be a good person. But I said, in my nicest way possible, you need to calm down. They're a grown-ass woman. They will tell you Mm -hmm. if what they want. I wouldn't go leading them around, you know, the street or pulling out a chair for them or whatever if you're not doing that for other people. Yeah, Yeah, just stop being weird about it, right, as part of it. And also, like, like shut your mouth and listen because people will tell you what they need. Like, it's not, yeah, don't be weird. Just don't be weird, I think, is the kind of the... Unless you are weird, and then we accept you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And there there's you go. nothing... There's That's nothing, your default. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to my community. But it's so, yeah. it's so interesting. <laughs> I, I feel like... I, I mean, I deal with a lot of stuff around race, and so yeah. how yeah. many people white people that I know or I watch ask people of color things that I'm like Dumb. Google it. Yeah. Where, what like, are you saying right now why would yeah. you ever think that this is and like just that burden and yeah. I imagine yeah. that similar burden of people coming to you I mean we're having you on the show so, yeah. so we can learn something so I'm, apologies yeah. if there's no, like no, that no. Extra I love yeah. doing but this. even like that idea of like yeah. you're gonna tell us everything to make it perfect and so how much of this can I look up in Google and like be better and smarter yeah. about are people yeah. like how much are people writing about these things and talking yeah. about them like yeah. I appreciate all the references yeah. you've talked about so far on the show yeah. we really appreciate your time because like there's certain things that like i mean you being our like a our guest like you know it's it's so eye-opening and so important such important work like and there are things that we you know do as teachers and um allies to to be better right like yeah yeah well and we talk in disability about disability culture Mm -hmm. and so whether it's crip hop or whether i have a a friend who's an artist sunny taylor Mm -hmm. and she is also a vegan and she does these amazing portraits of how her body like it Mm -hmm. can be objectified Mm -hmm. how you know what's the difference between being a person and being an animal so she has these really interesting just juxtapositions there's Mm -hmm. lawrence who's you know writing about media representation by Lissa, who's talking about how disability is too white. Um, Alice Wong has a disability Mm -hmm. visibility project, which is amazing. It's a storyteller's project. Um, I had another friend, uh, two friends who were doing this is what disability looks like. So I think consuming, Mm -hmm. although it's not out there in the mainstream media, bits of disability culture to kind of connect with what this looks Mm -hmm. like. And I have my own gaps, right? I I'm not an autistic person. Mm-hmm. I am not a deaf person. And so I have my own learning. I don't come prepackaged right. with knowledge about everything. And so I have these moments where I'm kind of fumbling too. Like, mm-hmm. am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I being too yeah. solicitous? But just kind of calming down and, you know, 
Because you end up putting more and more distance there. Huh. Like, how am I going to connect to you? Should I get all like, ooh, what do I do now? I know you have a wife, you know. Yeah. Just kind of <laughs> just spinning. Like, just kind of calming down and seeing what connections you have with people because yeah. they're people. Mm-hmm. And somehow that becomes hard for us. But I think there's a lot of generosity if you get it wrong and you're just relating to someone yeah. As a person. Yeah, well, you and just like kinda... show that you care about their humanity and yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. They're well, I'm talking to that person beyond the yeah. thing that you think is their thing. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. like, I'm only talking to a black person, like, only about racial things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or Annie, I'm only talking about vegan things, although I talk to you a lot about yeah. vegan things. Or gay things. <laughs> or gay yeah. things. Yeah. Gay right. vegan like, things. That's gay, gay, vegan, gay vegan things, intersectionality. <laughs> Have you seen that bumper sticker from Food Fight that says, oh, like, man. I poop three times a day? <laughs> yeah, so funny. I had that one. I've also seen the one, I've also seen awesome. the one uh, that I have a vegan haven that says, sorry, I missed church. I was too busy practicing witchcraft and becoming a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> That's a good yeah. reason to miss church. <laughs> yeah. I'm supportive of that. I mean, let me know where to donate my dimes yeah, tonight. Yeah. You could be a great poster child. <laughs> yeah. So up. I want to bring up something that I read of yours. Yeah. <laughs> um, called Ableism Bingo. Yeah. And oh, yeah. so can you tell us like how this came about? And then I'm gonna read some choice moments. Nice. <laughs> so my friend Erin, who runs a fake witty blog, um, she witty, yeah. she has entitlement bingo. And I looked at it and I started blushing as a white woman, like, oh, my God, have I been late to the meeting because I have my Starbucks latte, you know? How many times have I talked about race with someone or talked about my favorite Ethiopian restaurant? Yeah, I love this blog, by the way. I, like, went down a spiral after you sent it to me. It's pretty awesome. I'm going to post about it. Yeah. So I have been... I've, you know, Aaron's my friend, and I've been venting to her about, you know, the awkward yeah. school literacy event to yeah. the yogurt aisle and to state meetings. And so we were talking. She's like, you need—she's been saying for months, you need to make a bingo. And I'm like, okay, I will. So I was just—it was hard to limit it to those mm-hmm. squares. And yeah. I think it'd be a tool that—you know, making disability funny is also important because it— it allows you to break through stuff, mm. but also recognize our humanity and make people a little, not that it's our job to make people more comfortable, but to connect in that way. Like, hey, it's okay. We're just all trying to figure this out. So uh, you could take it to your next meeting. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> so like one of the columns, School. the organization talks about inclusion derived from the disability movement without being inclusive of people with disabilities. Like, boom, in your face right away. <laughs> Uh, videos made by organization have no closed captioning. Hey, right? Uh, event announcements include no information about access or accommodations. And when I read that one, I was like, oh, yeah. What happened? Your computer died? My computer died. Oh, you can't read these bingos. I'm no, just gonna I was just going to read the one about closed captions because that's so ridiculous. I just went to a training where somebody was like, yeah, we're trying to closed caption our videos. And they have like, I mean, probably like 100, like three minute videos. And they're like, but it's taking a long time because, you know, money and all these things. And I'm like, I would do that for free. Like, why are you why are you saying it's going to take yeah. you eight years to caption 100 videos? Like, why? What? Like, people will do that. Yeah. What? You just ask. Like, people will volunteer to do that. Like, that's not... I mean, what? <laughs> there are services that do it for a buck a yeah. minute overnight. See, That's like, not what's even that it? It's not even an excuse. Three hundred dollars. Like, I will, <laughs> like, I have it under my couch cushions. Yeah, and I don't even they use was, change anymore. They were speaking of this thing, and they wanted some lady was mad. I think she was a white lady, but she was mad about um, the person who was doing sign language mm-hmm. was like blocking her view of the stage, and Nate and some other people speaking. And he was like, "What? Just like 
move move. or like shut up, you know, like she's what are you like? How are you even just so entitled that you don't want to like what this person I like this other one? um, I think you have some really like poignant ones. Uh, Conversations about mental health focus on suffering at best, but are really about fears about violence or people going postal. Um, no emotional boundaries, no disabled people overshare their personal anger, angst with di- disabled people that are strangers to them, which is what you've been talking about. <laughs> about Sorry, it's right? particularly on that's a, that's so a, good. That's and then even just like <laughs> stuff that you're like, no sh- for other like, no, <laughs> no death. No schnitzel. Chairs, tables, and people's belongings are arranged such that there's no access aisle or attempts. Uh, attendees pet a service dog that is working without asking for permission. Yeah. It's true, it's working. Yeah, the dog, it says on the vest, uh, don't pet me, I'm at, jo- at my job. Like, <gasps> how hard is it? Or they just talk to the dog because they don't know how to talk to the person. Well, They're like, you're yeah. so cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love dogs, so of course, I, I can yeah, have a tendency to do that and then later recognize the human. But that happens to disabled or yeah. non-disabled people. That's how I treat them when they have a cute dog. Yeah. But I'm not going to go, like, feed them my sandwich, you know, yeah. right. work it. <laughs> So weird. <laughs> Super weird. Um, and I just keep you. I just love. I. I really, really, I really love this bingo card. I think it's. Yeah. It's just like it's so eye opening because you. Th- I mean, I think about when I worked in student government at Western that we had uh, the guy who did like VU facilities, which Viking Union is a VU. Um, had his ADA. Um, it was like a binder, and it was like all ADA compliance stuff, and he had all of the um the like charts, and like he had a special measuring tape that was for like measuring doorways. Yeah, and he was a really strong advocate for like we need to renovate this building, and he would go around and he would just measure doorways and just talk to himself about like, listen, this is not working. Like, and like he put all the things on the facilities list to get the doorways widened, to get the hallways widened. Like he's like, this is just it's not happening fast enough, right? But like I think about um all this. This is just this bingo card like captures like I all of the frustrations that like are invisible to to you if you're non-disabled right like and there's something that like it's so important to read this as a non-disabled person and just like yeah, reflect. that is like that's so important. Like <laughs> reflect and change I don't know, some of your behavior. Eye opening. That's that, that was eye opening when I saw his ADA binder. I was like, oh, that's really important. Like yeah. that's so important. But I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's, it just made me think about that for some reason. There's so many different forms of access. So I think, you yeah. know, the bias in my card is it has a lot to do with my own physical access. Mm-hmm. But I just did um, some work with some MPA students at Evergreen, and mm-hmm. I brought kind of a ableism checklist and, like, yeah. how would it – and I condensed it. But I found something from an autistic person who was talking about um, neurotypical privilege mm-hmm. and their own mm-hmm. experience. And uh, it started an interesting conversation with some folks there. There were siblings of, of people with autism. And, and it's just my own awareness building, too. Yeah. Like, I'm sure somebody who is blind would make a totally different bingo card. Someone who's managing depression. Someone, you know, yeah. who's HIV positive. Who, someone who um, is autistic. What, what does that look like for yeah. them? So it's hard to limit you squares. You have one. I'm trying to find the square that <laughs> hard to limit squares. It's true. The one that's like talking about the way that we talk about things and just um, use of certain able-bodied language. Is um, it the wheelchair-bound one? Maybe. Yeah, I'm trying I, to find it here. I made a not safe for work version of that, which I said that wheelchair-bound doesn't refer to sexual play. <laughs> <laughs> I changed awesome. that for the blog. <laughs> for the blog. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. For the children. That's awesome. That's so this good. This one's for the children. Yeah, I think some of the language around, like, stand up or, like, yeah. stand your ground or some of those kinds yeah. of, like, able-bodied yeah. phrasing Yeah, that just can be really problematic. Yeah. But then people get all, like, 
they go start tripping over themselves. Like, can I say to a blind person, it's good to see you? Yeah. Or a deaf person, I hear that, you know? So yeah. just calm down. I think that's a theme. Just calm down. Yeah. But think about some of the other language where it's, you know, yeah. why do we even, why do we say that? In what ways are we saying disability mm-hmm. is something that's bad and I wouldn't want to live with it? Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. That's actually a really great way to to stop yeah. um, for this part of the conversation. So yeah. much more to say. So much um, more to say. Really fast though, we wanted we've started a new segment called yeah. Guilty Favesies. Uh-huh. Interchangeable. White ladies. So these are things that make you feel both guilty, but also are secretly your favorite kinds of things. So mm-hmm. one of the things that's kind of a guilty favesy for me is um, microwavable popcorn. Mm-hmm. So even though I know that it's bad for the environment, plus you got the layer of like the chemicals coming from mm-hmm. the microwave. Um, it's also just so convenient. And Delicious. I love an air popper. I love, you know, one of my good <laughs> friends who listens to the show, shout out, Kettle Sons. Uh, she, she's really good at like making a stovetop popcorn. Yeah. And it's like so delicious, right? And those yeah, things are really, good. really good. Yeah. But there's just something about that microwavable popcorn that where you get it like, butter flavor. right, exactly. And then yeah. also you can just like dump that Slap Your Mama seasoning yeah. or Johnny's on it at the end or Burgie's mm-hmm. if you're trying to be a little healthier. And yeah. it's just so, it's a guilty favesies. Yeah. So do either of you have a guilty favesies? I definitely do. Um, mine is my commute oh, yeah. because I, at first I thought, oh, commuting is going to be terrible. And then I realized that <coughs> the, the way I go for traffic is actually pretty good because I'm going into Tacoma instead of out of Tacoma in the morning. And I, it's just a contemplative, quiet time in my car. And I enjoy, I enjoy it. I enjoy listening to podcasts. I enjoy listening to NPR. I actually finally donated to NPR. Like... <laughs> KNKX, I was like, yeah, I got to do it. It's been like, it's been like, I've been listening to Station for my whole life. But it was because I spent that much time in the car with them, like talking to me about the pledge drive. I just feel like I like that time in the car. It's quiet, it's nice, but it's terrible for the environment. I'm killing the earth in my one person driving in my car. The to work. contradictions that we live. It's, uh, yeah, guilty favesy. What you got? I spend a lot of time watching Netflix. I particularly <laughs> like dysfunctional and like Amazon and other things. I like dysfunctional family shows oh, and yeah. also oh, yeah. dysfunctional romantic comedies. And then I have to say there's something about where other people should be embarrassed that my husband laughs at me. I sit there and cringe myself and turn red and talk back to them. And I know it's fiction for sure. What's one of them like comes to mind? Well, or the I, latest? I just... Um, I really liked You're the Worst because they really were the worst. And then I just finished watching <laughs> Love on Netflix. Oh, and I keep passing it. They're super, super duper dysfunctional. So yeah. I enjoy that. I turned my mom on to Grace and Frankie, yeah. although she was a little mm. bit thrown off by the language. Oh, yeah. They're <laughs> sexual themes. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a pretty good win in comparison to having her try to watch The Wire. <laughs> 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 work on your wokeness like, slowly, slowly. Scrub in Baltimore is a little That's too much hilarious. for her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Too real. Oh, yeah. Have you seen End of the Effing World? No. You need to watch, watch it. it. It's about dysfunctional young people, and oh. one wants to be a serial killer, so he keeps dreaming about like killing the girl that he's hanging out with oh, all the nice. time. Um, yeah, Nate was the one who recommended it to me from Nerd Farm, and he loved it. Um, he watched it like all on the airplane from Nerd Farm, and also from your house because he's your from husband. my house. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> do you have a your... separate relationship, or is this just for podcast that, purposes? There, his well, that's my point with Taco relationship Man. Is <laughs> quarantined. Sir <laughs> <laughs> Gardner, Nate. All right, it's time it. for do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. And mine's gonna be quick. I'm gonna recommend reading Carrie's article, "Disability So White," and go checking out that let's play ableism bingo and being reflective 
Sweet. Um, AP government students learn about Americans with Disabilities Act, and you should too. If you haven't um, in a while or if you never have or you don't know anything about it, um, it's a landmark piece of legislation that um, the intent is to um, prohibit discrimination against people in all areas of public life. It doesn't always function the way it should, um, but it's very important and you should know about it. Be aware. Well, we're going to help you with that, AP government students. <laughs> Our office is doing a disability history curriculum because oh, did you know what? October is Disability History Month? I, Washington legislature said that schools are supposed to teach it, and they gave no awesome. money to do it. Okay, so we're doing mandates. That's our I love that's mandates. our wheelhouse. <laughs> we specialize. So uh, we're going to have a student voice video, and it's oh, going to be cool. two middle schoolers who are going through their day in community and school, and then we're going to build out a curriculum along with it with an educator. So I hope to have it for schools if we do our homework this summer. That's yes. awesome. So I'm really excited. Thank you so much for coming on the show and helping us be a little less basic. A little less basic. You're never basic. (laughs) Always basic. You have a nerd farmer at home. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, true. (laughs) Awesome. All right, thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Listen to our other podcasts like Move to Tacoma, Citizen Tacoma, Nerd Farmer, Crossing Division, Taco Man, and Flounder's B Team. I was going to wear, so she's talking, I have a boob sweatshirt. It's really, I was going to wear it, but I was like, your teacher isn't going to be inappropriate. (laughs) And if ever I ever see you again somewhere, I'll wear the boob sweatshirt. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.